Welcome all of our campuses to the fourth week of our series entitled, Is This the End? Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us. So we are in a seven-part series teaching through the book of Revelation. This is around 89, 90 AD. John, the apostle, is on the Isle of Patmos. And it's a Greek island, and he's writing as Jesus is speaking to him to encourage seven churches. And he's speaking. It's powerful. And John is writing down. And we've now entered into chapter 4, 5, 6. And it's things to come. Today and next week, I want to talk to you about this concept. The Bible talks about the tribulation. Some would call it the great tribulation. I'm going to unpack this for you. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. We're going to go back between 5, 6, 7, and some different spots. But it's just interesting when I think about this whole concept of tribulation. Matter of fact, it reminds me of our Cajun cousins, Boudreau and Thibodeau. One day they were out fishing, and Boudreau says to Thibodeau, Thibodeau, I hear that there's a preacher talking about the end of the world. He's talking about famines. He's talking about war and Armageddon. It got me thinking, if I knew the end of the world was coming, what would I do? He said, well, I tell you what I would do. I'd go to the camp. I said, I would fish. I'd eat crawfish, and and I'd hang out. He said, Thibodeau, what would you do? Thibodeau thought for a moment. He said, I guess me and Clotilde, me and the kids, we'd move to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. He said, why would you do that? Why would you move there? He said, well, it's real simple, because in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, everything happens there. It's about 10 years behind the rest. That means you'll go before I go. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? Don't email me if you're an Alabama fan. How many of y'all love LSU? Come on now. How many of y'all love LSU? I know that game's going to be coming up. For all of our Georgia fans, we know University of Georgia is the top over there. So we're talking about this concept of the tribulation. Now, I want to just qualify a couple of things. As Christians, we all go through tribulation. You experience tribulation, I do. Trials, tribulations, tests, right? I call it the three T's. I've taught messages on that. I'm not talking about daily trials and tribulations that we go through because we're followers of Jesus. I'm talking about a time period. I'm talking about a seven-year time period that the Bible talks about the tribulation or the great tribulation. I'm going to ask you again, if you do not have our app, Church of the King uh, app, I've got all of these graphs and charts. I'm going to ask you to, if you can pull up my timeline, because I want to talk to you about the sequence here, the seven year sequence. Now, last weekend, if you were not here, I spoke about the rapture. What is the rapture? I believe it's the next event. On God's prophetic time clock, it is a moment when Jesus comes back to the clouds, in the clouds. First Thessalonians, Paul talks about it to the church at Thessalonica. Jesus comes back. He raptures his church. He takes his church. So Jesus doesn't come all the way back to earth right here. He comes, the Bible says, there's a shout, there's a trumpet, it goes forth. The church is taken out of the earth. Immediately following that begins a seven-year period called the tribulation. Now, I want to encourage everyone, the theme verse of the book of Revelation is that we overcome. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and they overcame him 
by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto the death. Why is that important? It's important because regardless of where you are, regardless, listen, regardless if you're in the first century, second century, third century, regardless where you are, you and I, according to the power of Christ, can overcome in this life. What does that mean? It means we can stand strong regardless of what's happening around us. Not in our own strength, but by the blood of Christ. So we overcome. Everybody say overcome. The whole book of Revelation is a theme about standing fast and overcoming and standing in faith. And Christians can have hope based upon that. I personally believe, according to the Bible, prior to the, quote, tribulation period or the great tribulation, I personally believe, according to scripture, like I taught last week, that the church will not be here. Now, This week and next week, we're going to dive into the tribulation. There's actually two parts to it. The tribulation, as I said, is a seven-year period that begins after the rapture. It extends to the second coming of Jesus when Christ returns all the way back to the earth. On that chart one more time, maybe some of you have never heard this before. I want to say this to all of our locations. I see in the scripture there is a difference between the rapture And the second coming of Christ. What do I mean by that? Jesus comes here in the clouds. Does not come all the way back to the earth. It begins a seven year period. At the end of that seven year period. The church. The church of Jesus Christ. Comes actually back with him. All the way to the earth. And sets up the throne of God. Actually in Jerusalem. Jesus sets up his throne. And the church rules and reigns. With Christ For I believe a literal thousand years. So, rapture, he doesn't come all the way. I see these two events different. The question today is, what happens right here? What happens in this seven-year period of time? Very, very, very important. I uh, love to watch good movies. And uh, it's interesting if you understand action movies, for example. Uh, Action movies often have different things happening behind the scenes. For example, Star Wars. Those of you that watch Star Wars, you've got Luke Skywalker. There's a scene where he's doing something. Simultaneously, Princess Leia's doing something and then Han Solo. In other words, we know that things are happening. The the director can only show one scene, but we know there's multiple scenes happening at the same time. Does that make sense? At the end of the movie, what's amazing is they kind of all come together. The tribulation is important because during the tribulation, and by the way, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. The the tribulation is spoken of not just in the book of Revelation, but Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 12. I've taught through the book of Daniel. I encourage you to go online and you can download that. Jesus also mentions... The tribulation. And of course, Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19, the great tribulation. Daniel, Jesus, and other parts of the Bible. What's unique about the tribulation is this, is that although John may be talking about one scene, there's actually three simultaneous things taking place all in the same time period. So I want to talk to you about that today. 
Again, two weeks we're going to talk about the tribulation. I'm actually going to lay out the seven years, but I'm going to only get to about the halfway point, And the next week I'll complete that, all right? So let me give you the three scenes that are happening simultaneously. Pull that chart up one more time. That are happening simultaneously during the seven-year period. We'll focus on a point. We'll focus on one scene, but there's actually another scene and another scene happening. So what are the three scenes that are happening simultaneously during that seven-year period of time? Number one, the first storyline is the church is enjoying what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. Number two, the second one is Christ on the throne of heaven releasing. And I'm going to unpack what I mean by releasing. He releases the three cycles of judgment during the tribulation. We're going to talk about that. The third thing that's happening, all these are happening simultaneously. Again, just like Luke Skywalker, just, just all those, just like Star, Star Trek or Star Wars, same thing here. Boom, this is happening, marriage supper of the Lamb. Boom, second thing that's happened is there's these judgments that are coming. Number three, the third storyline tribula- in the tribulation event is what's actually unfolding on the earth. In heaven, from the throne, and on the earth. All right, let's jump into it. Number one, the storyline of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, believers, according to how I see scripture, and many, many others do, Believers will not be on the earth during the tribulation. They will be in heaven. Thus, the question is, what are Christians doing in heaven during the tribulation? Immediately after the rapture, I believe we experience what Paul calls the judgment seat of Christ. So, on my chart, right after, right after this, I believe believers are brought here. Boom. And we actually, the very first thing that we experience is the judgment seat of Christ. I want to say a couple of things about that. Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we we must all appear, he's talking to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. When we arrive in heaven, we are judged, watch this, by Christ for our deeds. And we will be rewarded, the scripture says, for every righteous deed that we have done. We must stand and have our works tested. The Bible talks about that. This is important. The judgment seat of Christ is not about whether or not you go to heaven. It's about the rewards you get when you go to heaven based upon the deeds that you've done for Christ. Now, let me mention rewards. Ultimately, the rewards translate into crowns that we put at the feet of Jesus. But we want to be able to present to the Lord the greatest amount of, of, of good deeds, saying, Lord, because you've saved me, because you... Remember, we teach, the Bible teaches, our works don't save us We're saved, therefore we do good works. But righteous deeds are important. And this is a moment in the Bible where righteous deeds take a kind of a front seat place. Okay, why is this important? After the judgment seat of Christ, 
we move directly into the marriage supper of the Lamb. So three scenes in heaven. Number one, marriage supper, or three scenes happening during the seven-year tribulation. Number one, marriage supper of the Lamb. Number two, these judgments being released from the throne of God. I'm going to talk about that. Number three, what's happening on the earth. So Christians stand before the Lord. The next thing that happens is they now enter into, they now enter into this seven-year period. Revelation chapter 19 talks about it. This, this marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 says this, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife. By the way, all through the Bible, it's important. There's multiple references of the church of Jesus Christ being the bride and the Lord himself being the bride, what? Groom. That's important. When you have a bridegroom and you have a bride, you have a marriage. This whole thing is moving towards a marriage where the bridegroom comes and gets his what? Everybody say it. Bride. Thus the marriage feast begins. John has this revelation. It's so powerful. Remember, Revelation chapter 4 all the way to the end is things to come. So here's what John says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife, that's us, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen, this is important, is the righteous acts of the saints. We are not saved by our good works. We do good works because we're saved. But works that we do in the name of Jesus after we're saved are still a big deal. Really big deal. This seven-year feast takes place in heaven with Christ and believers. And coincides time-wise with the seven-year tribulation on the earth. This feast will be a fantastic place to be. Again, I'd much rather be... How many of y'all, just ask one time, one question, how many of y'all would rather be at the marriage feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, rather than hell on earth? Come on, just raise your hand up. Okay, that's called smart people. All right. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, one of the things that helps us to understand this, what I would call with the apocalyptic language, futuristic language, is understanding ancient Jewish tradition. Now, why that's so important? Because there's a, a parallel track of ancient Jewish tradition, and it, it'll help you understand the rapture, the, the return of Christ, uh, the, 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 what happens, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me explain. In ancient Jewish tradition, watch this, they have a seven-day wedding feast that starts with the groom retrieving his bride from her home and ends with the bridegroom taking the bride to their new home. Does that sound familiar? In a similar way, the seven-year marriage feast starts with Jesus coming for us at the rapture and culminates with the groom Jesus taking his bride, us, his church, to our new home at the second coming. Our new home 
is back here on earth and our job is to rule and reign with Jesus during the thousand-year millennial reign. Isn't that an interesting parallel? Simply put, the tribulation, during the tribulation, tribulation, we're attending a wedding feast in heaven. By the way, our own wedding feast with the groom himself, Jesus. While the earth is in seven years of tribulation, Jesus is fulfilling his covenant with us, keeping his promise to marry his bride. So how should we then live in light of this truth? Number one, live a holy life. Number two, do righteous deeds in the name of Jesus. We should be a radiant bride looking, looking for the coming of the bridegroom. Powerful. The return of Christ was a theme throughout the New Testament where the writers, as we mentioned last week, not just John, but Paul and the different New Testament writers, Peter himself as well. It was a recurring theme over and over. Why? Because there was something about looking up. There's something about the expectancy that it puts in our heart, the sobriety. I want to say this, and I've said it every week, and I'll say it every week until we conclude this series. Pastor, do you believe that we're living in the end times? I actually believe we're living in the end of the end times, but I want to say this again. Whether Jesus comes back in five years or 500 years, it is your end times. And you and I don't get another shot. The reason why it's important to study the end times because it puts a fire in us to see our loved ones come to Christ. We don't know when the Lord is going to return. So, number one, first storyline that's taking place during the seven-year tribulation is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everybody say it. What is it? The count of three. One, two, three. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Second storyline, the storyline of the throne of heaven. This is where it gets pretty intense. I I remember this, nothing happens on earth that is not first established in heaven. I love what John says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come up and see. Interesting. Remember, the marriage supper of the Lamb, seven years. Very similar to that Jewish feast, seven days. Watch this. Simultaneously, there's this other storyline that's going on, and John sees it. He sees all three happening simultaneously, and by the way, records them in the book of Revelation, just like Luke Skywalker, something's going on, Han Solo, something, same time, but we get blinks throughout chapter 6 and 19 of each one of these scenes that are happening. Very interesting. In Revelation chapter 6 through 18, we see three cycles of seven judgments unleashed from the throne of heaven. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Each round of judgments is more and more intense and severe. The seven seals take place in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. While the trumpets and the bowls take place in the second three and a half years. Now let me qualify something. This is important. Please don't miss this point. I need everybody to lean in. Every location. I want to qualify. What we see with the seven judgments is not so much Jesus, watch this, casting or pronouncing plagues on the earth as much 
as it is that evil, watch this, the evil in men's hearts is full blown because that which was restraining evil is now removed. This is important. Pastor Steve, what happens at the rapture? Why is the tribulation so radical? Well, part of the reason is, I'll read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is important. This is why. Let me say this, my brothers and sisters. This is why the church of Jesus Christ is the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Purifies and preserves and penetrates. That's what salt does. Watch this. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And now you know what is restraining. What do you mean restraining? What is restraining? That he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. In other words, something is holding back evil on the earth right now. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the Holy Spirit manifested in Christ's church. And when the church is gone, think about that. When biblical, when, 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 when biblical teaching and witnessing and, and, and churches and discipleship and small groups and all the Sunday schools, and, and when all of that is removed, Paul says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. So what is restraining evil? When the Holy Spirit through the church is removed from the earth at the rapture, things go from bad to worse. Paul is conveying here the idea of the Holy Spirit through the church. The church, the church filled with the Holy Spirit is the restrainer of evil in the earth. That's what the presence of the Holy Spirit does. When the church is removed, when the church is removed, all hell breaks loose. Remember, the church is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit doesn't live in a temple made by hands anymore. Isn't that right? Well, who does God, where does God's Spirit dwell? In his people, his church. When the church is raptured, the work of the Holy Spirit through the church as salt and light in culture is immediately removed. Now, I want to clarify something. People are still converted during the tribulation. Watch this, and I'm going to explain why. But it's not because the church is salt and light. The Holy Spirit still convicts people of sin. But watch this. This is important. But the church is not there. I'm going to explain. Seven sealed judgments. Revelation chapter 5. Remember, three storylines. First storyline is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Second storyline, what is being released or what is being allowed now on the earth because the church is no longer there. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back. This is going to really help you guys understand this. Sealed with seven seals. What is a seal, Pastor? I'm going to explain it. Then I saw and a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. 
This is powerful. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Now, let me explain this. In antiquity, a message would be sent from a king, for example, to a leader within the kingdom via a scroll. We've seen that before. You see like a scroll rolled up. Well, Pastor Steve, how was it held together? To seal the scroll, they would put wax on the edge of the scroll rolled up. This is important. And then what the king would do, watch this. The king, you had a kingly ring called a signet ring. The king would then take the ring and put his ring finger on that seal. Watch this. And on that hot wax. And that would, quote, seal the scroll. Y'all seeing the connection? Only someone who was of a high level leader within the kingdom would be worthy to break the seal on the scroll. Any of lower rank who opened it would be guilty. And that crime would be punishable by death. In heaven, only Jesus is found worthy, watch this, to open the scroll. The five or the first four seals are illustrated as four horsemen. Some of you guys have heard this growing up. Man, what are these horsemen things? What are they in the Bible? I tell you what they are. They're demon spirits. They're demons that are being allowed on the earth because what is bound up in the heart of man is now just being, it's racing throughout the earth. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, many theologians believe the first horse, the white horse, would represent a dominating and conquering spirit. It's a, it's a demonic spirit that wants to dominate. Number two, the red horseman <clears throat> found in Revelation chapter 6 verse 4 is believed to represent a spirit of wrath and anger. Bringing civil unrest. Isn't that interesting? Civil unrest, crime, and murder like you've never seen. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 5, a black horseman is believed to represent The fruit of greed and economic collapse. Remember Black Thursday, 1929, in the stock market. Remember that. The fourth seal in Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, is the pale horseman. Pale being the color of death. When you have wars, worldwide civil unrest, famine and starvation, death is everywhere. Now, these are representing demonic spirits being released on the earth during the tribulation. In the fifth seal, John's looking into heaven and he sees this, Revelation 6, 9. I'm going to pull all this together. Stay with me. I know it's a lot of information. It's important. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, John said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had held. Here we see that there are people that became Christians during the tribulation. Why? They realized they had missed it. I realized what my mom had been telling me, what my wife and husband, what that church, uh, it's like, this is all real. And by the way, there is coming a day, just like with Noah. And, 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 and they kept war- he kept warning him, there's coming a flood. And everybody thought he was crazy. He was a preacher of righteousness. And then one day a flood comes. That day is coming. And when it happens... The Bible says the church is removed, but the Holy Spirit is still convicting people of sin. And I'm going to talk about 
How do they hear the gospel? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. It's all in here. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its leg figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. The sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up, when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed out of its place. The seventh seal releases the seven trumpet judgments. Now, and I'm going to address that more next week. Now, this is important, what I'm about to say. Number one, Pastor Steve, what happens during the tribulation, seven-year tribulation? Not talking about the daily tribulation we're dealing with in our lives, the test, the trial. I'm talking about the seven-year. The church, I believe, is raptured. The church enters into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Number two, there are judgments coming from the throne of God where Jesus, in essence, is allowing what's in the heart of man on the earth to be fully manifested. Just to be fully manifested. Number three, the storyline on earth. This is where I start putting it together for you. Revelation chapter seven. So Pastor Steve, this is real clear. So we see there's a marriage supper. We see these demonic spirits now coming on the earth. We know the church is not there. People are getting saved. How is all this being put together? Revelation chapter seven. We see the scene of earth unfolding in Revelation 7. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. I, as a pastor, one of the questions that I've gotten over the years is, what about all these Jewish people? Like, you know, these Jewish people, you know, I mean, the disciples were Jewish. Christianity came out of the Jewish faith. And and, and like, what happened? And, And what happens here during the tribulation is, it's interesting, the Bible talks about 144,000 Jews get it. It's like they realize, oh gosh, this is real. And the Bible talks about the scales being removed, and there's actually 144,000 Jewish people that come to Christ during the tribulation. And by the way, in the end, or actually at the halfway point, they're all martyred for their faith. You say, Pastor Steve, why why is this? Let me read this. 144,000 Jews are a remnant. 12,000. How many tribes of Israel are there? 12. There's 12,000 Jewish people from every one of those representative tribes. That's 12 times 12 is 144,000. 144, and then it's 144,000. So, people, Jewish people are getting saved. God is protecting these 144,000 Jews. Why is he doing this? Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. Our God, by the way, is a covenant-keeping God. How many of y'all would say yes? God is a covenant. And watch this. This was written thousands of years ago. A promise made to Abraham. It said, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be their God to you and to your descendants afterwards. And also I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. That's why, by the way, there's been such a, a fight over this tiny piece of land called Israel. Who cares about that little land? And like, why is all the world fought for generations over that? I'll tell you why. Because God promised it to a group of people. Genesis 
And God promised to visit the Jewish people. In the tribulation, we see 144,000 come to Christ. At the halfway point, they're all martyred for their faith. Now, I want to answer a couple of things. I'm going to do a little bit of a, I don't say rapid fire session here, but I want to explain a couple key characters in the, in the tribulation. Pastor Steve, what about these two witnesses? Who are the two witnesses? All this begins to come together. During the first three and a half years of the tribulation, we encounter two witnesses, the Bible said, in Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. And 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. By the way, that's three and a half years. These are two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, they were protected for that first three and a half years. Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be, a kill, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. Listen. Throughout the first half of the tribulation, these two witnesses prophesy against the sins of mankind. Similar to Elijah and Moses. These guys had power. Power to stop the heavens. Power to stop the rains. In other words, God gave these two witnesses. How are people getting saved during the tribulation? Because they're hearing two final preachers preach. They're like super... Duper anointed street preachers. Pastor Steve, how on earth? How's this happening? Well, their ministry is one of judgment against the wickedness in Jerusalem. Revelation 11.8, Jerusalem is called Egypt and Sodom, places identified with idol worship, sexual immorality, and all this stuff. And, and, and what's happening is God, in the first three and a half years, how did the Jewish people get saved? Now you say, Pastor Steve, time out. You got two people, they're in Jerusalem. How are people getting saved all over the place? Isn't it interesting? Here's a thought I want to posit. Could it be that technology focuses in on these two people? You couldn't kill them. The Bible says you couldn't kill them. They tried to kill them, but they couldn't kill them until God was ready. Now they're going to be killed in a moment, then they're going to get resurrected. But how do the people get saved? How do they get saved during that three and a half years? Not just Jewish people, but there's other people. I missed it. But then there's 144,000 Jewish people. You couldn't touch them. Could it be? Listen, I was in Africa last summer, literally in Kenya, going by a tribe. They had no running water. We were doing water wells. And I saw kids with cell phones. How on earth... Do people have cell phones in Africa when they don't? Let me tell you something. Listen, God, how many, how many of you believe God's smarter than us? Come on, just raise your hand up. Okay, let me tell you something. You couldn't kill these two witnesses. They're in Jerusalem. They're preaching. The world's getting one last chance to repent. They've missed it. They're in the tribulation. Watch what happens. Their ministry ends right in the middle of the tribulation when the beast, that's the Antichrist, has them killed. And for three and a half days, their body actually lays, this is amazing, 
in the streets of Jerusalem. And nobody can remove their body. It's like supernaturally protected as a sign and a wonder. Then, after three and a half days, isn't that interesting? Does anybody see the similarity here? We see in verse 11, life comes back in their bodies and they're called up to heaven before the eyes of the whole world. Why does God do this? Because God was validating his, his message of judgment and repentance by raising them to life again, just like he did with his son. God demonstrates their message is from him. When social media and TV and the internet people around the world, and who knows what else they have, they're going to hear a message of, of judgment repentance, and they're going to have one more crack at it. This brings me to two important characters in Earth's storyline, and then I'll leave it there for next week. Are you guys learning anything? Is this helping anybody? Okay, good. Remember, we have, just like Star Wars, we have three simultaneous storylines going at once. Number one, the church is raptured, we're in heaven, marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride, the church, the bridegroom Jesus, getting married, powerful, right? The Jewish, the Jewish bridegroom comes and gets his bride, they have a wedding celebration, seven days, symbolic of seven years, then he brings, watch this, his Jewish, what, his Jewish bride back to their new home. Isn't that interesting? The second storyline is these judgments are being released from the throne. And I'd like to liken it to not so much being sent, but being released in the sense of mankind is finally allowed to do whatever they want to do. And watch this. There's nothing to restrain them. Can you imagine? I mean, just raising kids. What if you just raise your kids and you let them do whatever they want to do, what was ever in their hearts, right? Wow. Imagine the whole earth. And there's no church. There's no Bible preaching churches. There's no small groups. There's no next steps. Come on, can I have an amen right there? There's no learning scripture and applying it to your life. But there's two witnesses preaching in Jerusalem. Wow. I want to talk about the tribulation just for a moment. I have another chart. If you can pull up my tribulation chart, this is all, by the way, online. Go to the Church of the King app. You guys can reference this. Tribulation, seven years. I believe the Bible teaches a literal seven years. There are three primary things in the first three and a half years. Two witnesses preaching Jerusalem. Temple being restored. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. 144,000 Jews protected. Seals being released. Everything changes right here in the three and a half mark. We'll pick that up tomorrow. But I got about seven, six, seven minutes. Stay with me. Two important characters in Earth's storyline, story the two beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet. The sealed judgments of the four horsemen come as a result of the lack of restraint against humanity's godless desires. This lack of restraint opens the way for the introduction of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will begin his rule immediately after the rapture by signing a peace agreement with Israel, bringing long-sought peace to the Middle East. 
You can only imagine, one can only imagine what's going to happen when Christians are not here around the globe and you think there's chaos now in the Middle East. Just think about what's going to happen. Well, the Bible talks about that, Daniel chapter 9. Remember, the tribulation is Daniel cha- It's in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation and in other places. Daniel chapter 9, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Remember that, seven days, symbolic of seven years. But in the middle of the week, in the middle, that's that, that's that 42 months, you're going to see this. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Here in Daniel's prophecy, very important. One day equals one year. So seven days equals seven years. And Revelation 13, important to note, Revelation chapter 13, the first beast, the Antichrist, is given power over the nations. While slaughtering Gentile believers who came to Christ after the rapture during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the 144,000 Jews are protected until a point. Why is that important? The, sea, the, the, the rest of the world worships the beast just like the ancient citizens of Rome worship Caesar. Then in verse 3 of Revelation 13, we see the Antichrist, who, by the way, is a human political leader. Two false prophets, Antichrist, or two, two, two beasts. Antichrist, that's a human political leader. False prophet, that's a human religious leader. Two beasts, two human beings inspired by the devil. They're not figments of people's imagination. Now, there's the spirit of the Antichrist here, but there is a person. During the first three and a half years, what is happening? Because we talk about, if you pull up my seven-year chart just for a moment, my seven-year chart, I want you to go back to that original chart if you could. During this first three and a half years, if you could, my timeline chart, thank you. This is, I want to say relative peace, This is technically, the last three and a half years is technically termed the great tribulation. All the, why is that? Let me tell you what happens. The Antichrist, remember, is a political leader, very, very sophisticated in their negotiation skills. And what they do is they cut a peace agreement with Israel and all the nations of the world. Now watch this. They cut a deal that allows Israel to start sacrificing animals again. The problem right now is the the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic, Jordan actually controls that area. There's an Islamic Dome of the Rock on top. Those of you that have been to Israel know what I'm talking about. So they couldn't actually even sacrifice animals today unless a peace agreement was made that allowed Jews to go. If Jews went up and started sacrificing animals again, that would be World War III. So what happens? There's a sophisticated peace agreement that allows, watch this, it clears the way for a third temple to be built. By the way, you can Google right now online the third temple in Jerusalem. Is that going to be the plans? I don't know. But they actually, the Jewish people right now, they have, I've been there. It's called the Temple Institute. You can go right now and you can see they actually have plans drawn up for a third temple. So, so, is that the temple itself? I, I don't know. But the Bible talks about that. They begin to sacrifice animals again. All right? And the Jewish people 
That's why the 144,000 Gentiles that are getting saved, they're being martyred. But for the first three and a half years, the 144,000 Jews, listen, they're not being martyred. There's a false peace agreement there. But everything changes at year three and a half. When the Antichrist commits what the Bible talks about, the abomination, I'm almost finished, the abomination of desolation, which we read about, by the way, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, everything changes. Jesus mentions this three and a half year mark, the abomination of desolation. What does that mean? The, the, Jesus says in Mark 13, 14, so when, he, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. Let the reader understand and let, the, the, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. All of a sudden, the Jewish people realized they were deceived. Now, 144,000 got saved. Watch this. What is the abomination? I'm going to end with this point. I got so much to say, but I'm going to pick up on this next week. What is the abomination of desolation? The temple, the third constructed temple, Remember, it's built once, tore down. Second time, tore down. Destroyed by the Romans. Now this third constructed temple at the three and a half year mark, here's what happens. Pull up my timeline if you could, the whole timeline. At the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist, remember, that is a human political figure. The Antichrist, and this is very, 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 very important, walks into the temple all right, and declares himself to be God. When that happens, the 144,000 Jews are killed. It actually kickstarts what people would commonly call, theologians, the great tribulation. Remember I said it goes to another level? The Antichrist, and I'll, I'll just give you one little, one little uh, foretaste for next week. This is important. The Antichrist is actually, he's actually struck down and the false prophet actually heals the Antichrist, which then all the world rejoices. And uh, let me say this, they realize there's supernatural powers in this Antichrist. Next week, we're going to pick up right here. Three storylines. The churches and the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of y'all want to go to heaven? Come on, just raise your hand. All right. Number two, from the throne of God, mankind, listen, it's being released on the earth, allowed on the earth for man to do every wicked thing imaginable. Number three, storyline on the earth, Jewish, there's a, there is a demonically inspired person, a political leader, an antichrist cuts a deal with, the Jude, with Jews and the Middle East. They begin the third temple built, sacrifices. Midway point, he, political leader, declares himself to be God and all, literally all hell. And theologians would call it the great tribulation. Mark three and a half, the, uh, the year three and a half all the way to the seven prior to the quote return of Christ. So what do, what do, what do, what do we need to do? Here's what we need to do. We need to be ready. We need to stay close. Listen, we need to stay in this word. There is a spirit, and I say this, yeah, there is a spirit of deception in our world right now. And the only way that you can equip yourself, Paul talked about it 2,000 years ago with the armor of God, is you equip yourself with the word of God. 
You've got to know your Bible. You need to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can raise our families and we can plan for the future because Jesus may come back in 500 years. But I'm going to tell you something. You need to be ready if he comes back today. And we need to do righteous deeds, sharing Christ and, and, and helping people in the name of the Lord. But we have nothing to fear. We're overcomers. Everybody say overcomers. We are overcomers in the name of Jesus. Listen to me. Wherever you are in your life, wherever you are, maybe you're in a painful situation right now and you don't even know God. Matter of fact, I'm going to take a moment right now as we close and give you an opportunity to meet Christ. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about giving your heart to Jesus. Would you bow your heads right now? Every single person, if you just bow your head right now, and I just want to talk to you. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? In just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need the blood of Christ to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hand up high. One, two, three. Quickly, just hold your hand up high. All right, let me pray for you. Let's all pray together, church. Come on, with one voice. Everybody say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Wash with your blood. Make me new. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Wow, that was absolutely amazing. Hey, if you're here today and you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time. We just want to say congratulations. It's a huge deal. The Bible says that you're born again, that your sins are forgiven, that you now belong to a new family. Congratulations. I want you to know too that right where you're at, we're there with you in this moment. And I want to encourage you that your first step now is to let somebody know. Yes, and the way that you can let us know is by either following the link on the screen or you can click the link in the chat room. And we would love to send you some resources as you begin this new journey of following Jesus. And again, we are so excited for you. We're celebrating with you. And hey, we hope that you will join us again next week as we continue this series, Is This the End? We'll see you guys same time, same place. Have a great week, guys.